The death toll in what's been described as Papua New Guinea's worst massacre in the last decade is expected to climb with more than 50 deaths already recorded. Acting Police Commander for Inga, Patrick Becker, told Lydia Lewis that the ongoing tribal fighting resulted in the deaths. He says it's a very serious situation. We are still conducting a search to uh, retrieve the body uh, people killed in the battlefield. Uh, yesterday we we collected 26 bodies. And for more on this, Lydia spoke with our PNG correspondent Scott Wide. She began by asking him how he would describe the incident. This is one of the worst instances of killings that I've seen in the last 10 years. Uh, the last one that I, I saw previously was the one in the southern uh, in the Ella province where. 16 people were, 16 women and one child were killed. Uh, and that, that was when we went there, when I went there personally to see it. Uh, this one, the number is uh, very high. I, I haven't seen that kind of number in, in the last 10 years. Uh, there, collectively, the number would have been, will be higher. But for 52 in one instance, uh, yeah, very high. And who have you spoken with on the ground? I understand you've spoken with one tribesman who was involved uh, so far. Who else have you spoken with and what did they say? Yeah, I've spoken to one tribesman whose family is involved in the fighting. Um, And he told me that 25 dead bodies were retrieved from the bushes yesterday, uh, late in the afternoon, with help from police and military and 27 more were recovered this morning. They've uh, taken the bodies to uh, Wabeg. Um, and in terms of the number of women and children affected, there, there's no accurate figure to say how many women and children have been affected by it, but the number will be higher, uh, as is usually the case. So the number of men who were, uh, whose bodies were retrieved was is 52. As of as of this morning, and what do we know about the women and children? Yeah, there's they're obviously affected. Uh, there's very little information at the moment that I'm I'm able to gather at the moment because a lot of the focus is on on the, on the men who have been fighting and who've been killed. Have any of the men been taken into custody? What is the process after such a horrific incident like this? Yeah, from the police front, it's it's really difficult to have people arrested uh, in situations like this. And and you know, from my experience over the last twenty years, it has always been difficult to go into tribal fighting areas and have the community give up the people who are actually responsible for the killings. Because if you arrest on one side, you have to arrest on the other side as well. Uh, and given the fact that uh, a lot of the tribesmen are armed, uh, it, it puts a, it's a really difficult situation for police and military to you know, try to contain the situation firstly and then have those people arrested. Uh, usually the process has been to involve uh, political leaders who will be involved in the negotiation or community leaders, church elders, and then uh, seek the voluntary uh, surrender of people who are involved in in the in the killings and in the in the in the violence generally. Do you know more about what weapons were involved? There's been talk around them being homemade. 
most of the weapons used in the killings are military weapons. They uh, and and the names they they mentioned to me was you know Israeli made Galils, uh, U.S. made M16s, SLRs. Uh, one bullet for an M16 is being sold for 30 kina, depending on the demand. It can go up to 50 kina for one bullet. Uh, a shotgun that was a shotgun was also used as as I'm being told. Uh, and one shotgun pill, uh, one shotgun shell uh, costs about 70, 75 kina for one. So it's a, there's a huge black market attached to this tribal fighting that's happening. Um, one assault rifle costs upwards of uh, 30,000 kina. So it, it's a yeah, very complex web of uh, people who benefit from this tribal fighting as well. And all of this is on the backdrop of instability in government with an upcoming motion of no confidence in the Prime Minister. But but what does this mean in the grand scheme of things with this political instability and obviously the riots that happened at the start of the year? This will definitely be used as a point of contention by the opposition because, uh, as is usually the case, any any. Uh, violence in the islands, any violence in any parts of the country go leading towards the vote of no confidence is always used as ammunition to uh, take on the government uh, by the opposition or any any other parties who has uh, disagreements with the the ruling government. So that's definitely going to be something of discussion on the floor of parliament during the vote of no confidence session if it comes to uh, fruition. And we've already seen lots of discussion about the lack of employment. Is this something that comes into play in a situation like this as well? Yeah, the provincial police commander has stated very quite clearly in a statement that a lot of the people who were killed in this violent incident were people who were hired to kill. Uh, so it, that's from from the police, and it's it's no secret that uh, people have you know offered their services as quote mercenaries in in tribal fighting, and that's uh, also you we, we've seen that in the elections where uh, people like that were used in intimidation, and it's a sad situation, an unfortunate in, uh, turn of events, and it's it's escalating uh, by the year. And as simply as you can put it, why did this break out or how did this escalation ensue? Yeah, it, it's difficult to, you know, summarize it in a few words, but it, it's, uh, it, it's, there's been a long-standing feud between different clans and it's, you know, trying to get to the bottom of it is you'd have to weave through, you know, the complexities of tribal politics and and. Uh, violence that has happened in the past, uh, last year, as as with this case, uh, the person I spoke to said that this was related to an incident last year, and the incident last year would have been related to something that happened previously. So, it's an ongoing uh, cycle of violence that uh, is really, really difficult to stop uh, within the communities. As the Western world looks on and and sees the headline of massacre in Papua New Guinea, what do people on the ground want want the world to know in a situation like this? Yeah, it's it's a 
Papua New Guinea is a complex country. And we, as you know, we've got 800 languages. We've got a very, a myriad of different cultures. The Enga province is just one province. And my culture, uh, for myself, totally different from Engan culture. So to have all of the cultures in Papua New Guinea, you know, lumped into one and uh, dis- to, to describe Papua New Guinea as a violent country is, is quite unfair. That, that's firstly, uh, first thing I'd like to say. The other thing is the, within Enga itself, the manner in which, you know, there's a, there are systems of governance, traditional governance in, within the Enga province uh, and within the tribes and clans that uh, uh, contribute to this fighting. In order to understand the violence, one has to really go down to the ground and, and speak to the tribal leaders, speak to those who are involved in it to understand the rationale behind the killings uh, and then work backwards from there in order to have a, a, a clear understanding of what's happening on the ground and who's affected and why they're actually doing it. Um, there are, you know, modern elements at play like uh, modern weapons, military-type weapons that are used in the tribal fighting uh, along with traditional weapons. And that has put a new spin on, uh, a, a, yeah, a new, a new spin on the level of violence. Uh, the use of mercenaries is a new thing that we've seen in the last 20 years. Uh, so all of that's put together adds to the complexity of the tribal violence, uh, the tribal uh, landscape that exists in the Anga province.